The Athletic. Sacking a manager and appointing his number two as interim for the end of the season is such a bad idea that A, Todd Bowley did it, and B, Todd Bowley then appointed Frank Lampard as his way out of it, (laughs) as his solution to this mess he got himself into. That's how bad an idea this is. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, everybody. The award-winning, yes, actually award-winning Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I told you it was award-winning in advance, but now it really is. I'm your host, Danny Kelly. Alongside me today, the whole gang, uh, The Athletic's Jack uh, Pitbrook, James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare. First of all, hello, and let's make sure everyone knows you're here. Hello, Charlie. Hey, Danny. How are you doing? Very good. Hello, Jack. Hi. Hello, James. Hello. In alphabetical four-name order there, not in height order that I made all the mistakes with on Twitter the other day. First of all, a massive, massive thank you to all of you who voted for us to win the Best Team Podcast at the Sports Podcast Awards. It's, it's a huge and prestigious award. All awards are absolute toss until you actually win one, and then they're just great. Um, so I want to I really, really thank everybody who took the trouble uh, to vote for us and to believe in us, which is just, just wonderful. Of course, I, uh, James, Jack, and Charlie know how grateful I am for everything they do for, for the whole podcast. It's their podcast, after all. I should also mention Mike and Adonis in the background who do all the production and geeing up, which is just fantastic. And Tim Spears, who for the last six months has held the fort while Charlie's been away doing um, daddy things. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, we'll do our best to make sure that the award you know, is, is deserved and will improve the podcast as we go along as well. I myself have, got, of course, got to get an RSJ to reinforce the shelf on which I keep my awards. And thank you once again for all of that. Um, and, of course, you know, we ought, therefore, to spend the next 30 minutes, 40 minutes or an hour waving from the top of an open-top bus and uh, all agreeing just how great we are. But, of course, uh, being about Tottenham Hotspur does not allow you that luxury so we have to move on from the sunlit uplands of the award, once again, thanks to you all, to yet another miserable home defeat to a team um, in the relegation battle and to the ripples that that sent, or the shockwaves rather, sent out among the supporters of Tottenham Hotspur at a time where, I, I'm, I'm going to say it, I'll come back and see if I'm being exaggerated, I can't remember a time when the club was in such chaos. You know, and I've seen them relegated, but that seemed like that didn't seem to be such a big problem. I've got to be honest about that. Let's talk about the game briefly because I think the issues that come out of the game are, are even more important. Did we see anything different from the from what we've been expecting over the last, you know, several months, um, or was it, you know, even more of a clown show, Charlie? <sighs> I mean, not really. They started all right, and when they, and when they went ahead, because Newcastle had lost just before, and you did think, okay. I mean, I know everyone was saying, well, yeah, that's exactly why we won't make alarm, the most of this alarm. opportunity. Exactly, but even so, you know, it was Bournemouth at home, and they went ahead, and and they played okay, but then they did just do what they always do, and they retreated, not straight away. I thought they actually had a bit of momentum after the goal but Bournemouth came into it and were good value for their equaliser Perisic was quite good and he hasn't often been this season so <laughs> that was a positive but I think you'd you'd struggle to um, yeah make fans feel better about the defeat by saying but you know Perisic was quite good this isn't really the point but I thought that um, I thought Son had a few good flashes in the first half hour or so and I do and I do think that there's been you can see there's been a little bit of a change of emphasis I think under Stellini which is that the shape is maybe a little bit more of a sort of three-five-two with Son kind of high up through the middle, running in behind. Like oh, his goal was good, but there were a few other moments where, 
they looked to get him in behind rather than coming short. And um, so the the formation was slightly different. It looked to me like Kulisewski was maybe a little bit a little bit deeper rather than in the front line. So they, they built up slightly differently. But yeah, I mean, ultimately that kind of flicker of sort of, I don't know, what was it, 20, 20 minutes, Charlie, in which they were all right, was um, it didn't last very long, did it? I mean, another thing, like the Brighton game, Skip was getting forward quite a lot, had license to do that with Hoybier sitting more. But I mean, yeah, we're talking tweaks. I mean, yeah, Jack's right. Son, there was that one where he went through from Skip's pass, actually, and was a lot more confident. Looked like he was relishing taking on the defender and then did a few step-overs and had a good left-footed shot tipped over. But uh, yeah, these are f- fairly small things, I suppose. That, that was very old-school Son, that, I thought. Exactly, that, yeah. That felt like the kind of thing, like, other than like, you know, pr- properly getting a run on, that that felt like totally. the kind of old-school Son thing that we just haven't seen this season. And I would say that is probably as much Dan's confidence as anything else. Because I think he was probably still picking the ball up on the edge of the box. And I know there's been a lot of chat about him coming deep and getting the ball with his back to goal in comparison to being played in behind. But I'm sure he's picked up the ball on the edge of the box and not done that that often this season. I mean, one of the reasons I think that we, that we are the world's best uh, club podcast, official, titles, awards, all the rest of it. One, we don't all support Spurs, so there's sometimes an element of realism in the uh, perhaps over-emotional way in which I uh, approach things. And two, at least one of our number no longer goes to the games, even though he's allowed <laughs> to go, which I think also brings a certain perspective. Tell me, James, as you were watching Kingstonians winning, I think, if I'm right, yeah? No. Oh, no, no sorry. They, they, they lost, but they stayed up. Oh, they stayed up. So I had this incredibly awkward moment of, uh, God, this is going to be so boring to more or less everyone. But basically, Kingstonian needed Hearn Bay to lose at Wingate and Finchley. Ah. And that game was delayed, I believe, for the same traffic regions as the Spurs game. So he had this like 20 minute wait inside the ground that. An agonizing wait with your radio earpieces. Listening to, or like following the Spurs game and Wingate and Finchley versus Hearn Bay. And the exact moment that the Wingate and Finchley game ended, which actually did finish 4-1, so obviously we knew it was fine. Spurs conceded that goal right at the end. So, like, Kingstonian was safe, but Spurs had lost home to Bournemouth simultaneously. Okay, well, you're right. That was tremendously boring for everybody, but... Um, it was. Yeah. We can edit it <laughs> down. Me. The award-winning editing will come into play here. My decision not to go to Spurs is entirely justified by the thing I'm sure we're about to talk about now. Which is? The booing of Davinson Sanchez. Okay, well, look, the, uh, the, the, the the game was what it was. And, you know, obviously when the third Bournemouth goal went in, you, you know, I, I down tools mentally. Um, so I, I might be coming with you too. I'll fly to England to go to Kingstonian as to make a point, except, of course, their season has ended. When I say that I, I can't remember a time, um, and, you know, there are all kinds of things. Romero's back heel. I'm always pr- praising Christian Romero. Give it a break, son. Since the World Cup, let's be fair, he's been absolutely shoddy, hasn't he? Just before just, the World Cup, too. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, well, of course, he, he wasn't playing, so at least he, did, we, he didn't have the effect on the team that he had when he was preparing for the World Cup by not playing for Spurs. Um, that back heel, I mean, you know, you, you want to boo something, boo that. In, in the big picture, we'll get onto the micro in a minute. In the macro picture, I don't think I can remember a time when the club, at least... It, in public, was so obviously in crisis. Maybe in the past it has been, but we didn't have social media, 24-hour day rolling news and award-winning podcasts to shine a light on these things. But just just going through the, the litany once again, the team is playing hopelessly, despite its position in the Premier League. We have no manager. They've got no women's team manager. That's another separate issue. There's no director of football. There's no name for the stadium. The owner of the club or the public face of the ownership Daniel Levy is utterly silent um, and the chaos continues. So 
I wonder, I can't think of a time when it's been more obviously fractious. And of course, this has now invaded the sphere of the supporters who are turning against each other, both in public and on social media. You're either not enic out enough or you're too complacent or you don't care enough. You Nobody can tell you how to support your football club. That's, that's up to you. Which takes us to the issue of the booing of Davis and Sanchez. I'd like to get a general view on this. I'll start with you, James, because clearly you, you've watched Barcelona. I mean, it's, it's like a religion now. You either believe you either believe that you're allowed to boo the players or you don't. What's your view? I mean, look, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell people what they should or shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, actually, no, I am. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah, I can't really fathom the thought process of doing that. Like, whatever you think of Davinson Sanchez as a as a footballer, he is a he is a human being. There is no benefit. I mean, I mean, even if you take out the human element, what is the benefit of you as a fan booing a player? What what do you think that's going to like g him up and improve his performance or make him feel good about himself or any of the other players on the pitch for that matter? Who are all mates of him? All of the other players in the team. They're all human beings as well. They're all friends of him. They will spend all their time with him. How, do you think you're going to get a positive reaction out of anyone like that? It's just, I, I, it's just barbaric. I just find it like completely inhuman. I, I can't for for people to not be able to separate like the idea of a, a footballer and a competitive sportsman and a human being who you know has to go around has to go about the rest of his life for, for the rest of the week. I just can't. I, I'm honestly so glad I wasn't there and it's nothing to do with the result. I, I'm so glad I wasn't stood there to, to witness that. And we had it earlier in the season with Emerson Ryan and I really hated it then as well. Actually, to be honest, in hindsight, we didn't talk about that enough in the moment in the podcast because we'd been critical of Emerson well, as a player on this podcast quite a bit. And I'm, so a lot of people did disagree with what we were saying. It's fair enough. But like to be booing a player during a game, I just think... You know, when a player is playing badly, they're not having a good time. Like, there's no, there's no player in elite football who is having a bad game and thinking, ha-ha, fucking hell, I'm getting away with it. He 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 knows he's having a bad game, and, like, in, inside his own head, he's going to be having a horrible time already. To to exacerbate that by booing a player. And I've seen all these tweets from people responding to the piece that Charlie wrote, saying, ah, oh, they weren't booing Damson Sanchez, really. They were booing the idea of neglect by Enoch in terms of the players are signing or a decision to stick with Stellini or Stellini's team selection. That's bollocks, don't you not? You're booing a player when he gets the ball every single time. It's just absolute nonsense. And you basically bullied him out of the game. You forced him to be substituted. The idea is well that Sanchez in his head would be like, they're actually not booing me. They're booing years of perceived mismanagement by Enoch. So it's fine. Like, I don't imagine that's what he's thinking. What I found so weird about it as well is like, yeah, everyone has their own threshold for booing. And, you know some might say some might one argument is if a player's not trying I feel I can boo him with Sanchez it's it was so clearly an issue of confidence and has been with him for such a long time this is a guy you can see the way he's playing he's terrified he's playing in that right center back role which is a ball playing role which he can't really do he looks so scared like it's so obvious this is a player already lacking confidence to then like kick a guy when he's down you know, like, I get it if you feel you're punching up and it's a player who looks complacent, looks like he wasn't going to, didn't want to be there. I mean, like, Conte, I think, to a lot of fans, felt like punching up because he's this, like, megastar who's coming in and Self-appointed megastar, yeah. Yeah, who's saying, I think I'm better than you. Davin San- Davinson Sanchez is so far from that. He's just so clearly struggling. And it was it was so awkward 
and horrible to watch. And, you you know, look at the guy when he came off and he sat there and he's shaking his head. It's just miserable. And let's, let's be honest about this. Um, football fans, we, they are fickle. You know, I think about Granite Xhaka, who was literally, I mean, told never to return to the ground when he was booed off a couple of years ago at Arsenal. This year, all I can see is he's, he's a candidate for Footballer of the Year. <laughs> you don't need to go that far back in time or that far down. What, seven two, two whole Christmas years? <laughs> no, you don't. No, no, no. Look at Emerson Royal at Tottenham. Booed off the pitch in that game earlier this season, and by the time Pedro Porro turns up, or immediately afterwards, the guy's a cult hero, and mm. everyone wants him back in the team. Everyone's crying when he gets injured. Exactly the same thing has happened at Spurs. You know, it happened to Danny Rose when Danny Rose signed a new contract in 2013 or the first half of 2014. That he had to delete all his social media. There was, you know, all these replies to the tweet saying it was a disaster that this guy was staying at Spurs. Sure enough, then he ends up being one of the best fullbacks in the league. And, of course, you mentioned Pedro Porro there, and this is the level of the poison that, um, I mean, you know, and we'll talk about where it's coming from, Jack, in a second. The poison is such that Pedro Porro, who's not been at the club 12 weeks, has had to delete his social media after, admittedly, a kind of mad performance in a terrible team uh, performance at the weekend. I mean, we can't be... And this is the problem, isn't it? I mean, booing is one thing, and the social media is another what people don't understand about social media and what society has yet to confront is the fact that when you send a social media post, it is a piece of broadcasting. As sure as this is, or me sat broadcasting to the world on the radio, absolutely it is. The difference is that it's received in someone's living room. It is a personal communication to them. What leaves you as a kind of howl into the void ends up arriving in somebody's life. In their actual life, they might be having their tea. Pedro Porro might be talking to his... I don't know if there is a Mrs. Pedro Porro about X, Y, or Z, and suddenly comes this thing about how what a twat you are. You'd have to have a skin like a rhino or like mine in order to, for that not to affect you. It's nuts. It's nuts. We have... I mean, I'm going to say it now, and I'm going to sound, I'm going to sound like Lee Anderson or something. We have far too much access to each other at the moment, and the booing and the grand is only part of it. The social media stuff is equally awful. But I do, I do think the sense of entitlement that football fans have now is kind of born out of this idea that due to social media, you can have your say on anything at any given moment. And it doesn't matter how fucking bonkers your opinion is. You're allowed to air it and you can force that on anyone you want. And it's, it, I think those two things go hand in hand. Well, also, there's this disconnect now because footballers feel so remote to us because they earn so much money. I think a lot of fans justify it in the he earns loads of money sort of way as if that sort of makes it all right to abuse a human being, as if that insulates you from having 60, well, it wasn't 60,000, thousands of people booing you. And, and, you know, and Lloris claimed that he heard Sanchez being booed even when he came on. I have to say, I didn't hear that firsthand. And he said he'd never seen anything like that. But the reality is he has, because Emerson Royale was booed when he came on a New Year's Day against Aston Villa, which is extraordinary. Some of this is to do with the, the way football is sold to us now. By, by managers, by the way. But I would say the last two, the last two permanent managers of vilifying the players has not been great. It doesn't help, but it, that's but, not been great. But also, since since we stopped being fans, and became customers, and that moment subconsciously has changed the way people think about what they're doing. When I was a kid, you you were a mindless fan of the club, and you followed them through thick and thin. Now, because you're a customer, you expect something for your investment, both financial and emotional. The trouble is, unlike if I don't like my t- TV service or I don't like my supermarket, I can't go anywhere else. So the truth is, we're not fans, we're hostages. 
And that has caused a kind of a, a collective mental schism that thinks people people think it's okay to really abuse people. Or you know, I I, I got to be I got to confess, I have booed Spurs. I booed them onto the pitch during the George Graham era, but it, you know, it caused trouble around me in the Paxton Road stand. But of course, it was comedy. I'm booing them. I'm booing them before they even start because I know they're useless. It was supposed to be a laugh. But let's let's, let's take the Sanchez thing further, Jack. And that's this. Whatever about his performance, and it wasn't it wasn't good. And he accidentally toe ended the, an assist for one the, the second Bournemouth goal. What Christian Stellini did twenty minutes later was reprehensible, in my view. Apart from the fact that you know by the end of it, we'll discuss this. He had absolutely put on the most ridiculous team, Spurs, I think I've ever put out on the pitch. Maybe the Inter Toto Cup. Back in the day when it was Alan Pardew captained them. Alan Pardew played, yeah. Alan Pardew captained uh, 10 amateur players as Spurs represent themselves. There was a 9-0 defeat in Cologne. The most ridiculous team by the end of it was that Stellini should never have taken him off, Jack, because it was only going to make things worse. Okay, well, that's that's what we're here for. Yeah, I disagree. I think that obviously by taking him off, he exposed Sanchez to one last bout of booing, which was horrible. Equally, if he kept Sanchez on, who's to say where it would have gone if there would have been, you know, there was a a lot of football left to be played at that point in the game. I think he also, you know, he could have exposed him to a lot worse treatment if he had kept him on the pitch. I also think Stellini was trying to win the game. And the substitution that he made that he made made sense tactically. Like, I mean, it feels slightly jarring to talk about football and tactics in the context of all this abuse, but ultimately, that's what Stellini would have been thinking about first and foremost. Um, and I do think the the substitution made sense tactically, and I think it was kind of justifiable on a personal level, as horrible as it was at that point. He had just flown into a tackle as well, Sanchez. And I mean, the poor guy looked like his head had gone. But I think, I mean, ultimately, Stellini did have to do what he thought would win the game. You know, you can't keep a player on just because you want to spare them that indignity. I don't think, you know, I think ultimately if he'd done that and then he had made a mistake and, you know, you, you can't, and then it said, yeah, but I didn't want to sort of, you know, make Sanchez's day even worse. That I don't think that would have gone down very well. Okay, I mean, I I hear what you're saying, and once again, uh, it's the ledge talk down moment in in the podcast. But was he playing that much worse than Eric Dyer? That much worse than Christian Romero back healing balls on the edge of his own penalty area? You know, I, I get the argument about wanting to win the game, and in the background, I I, I, I could open a window and still you'll still hear people laughing at how we went about trying to win the game. There's another point that I want to make on on this booing is that, and, and I'm abs- I'm not singling out Tottenham for this because this is true in every single crowd across the country, but the, the reality is that when it comes to booing fans, booing players like this, black players get it worse. You know, we've 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 seen that. I mean, that's I can think of hundreds of examples from different clubs for as long as I've been watching football, which is coming up to thirty years. Uh, and it's you know it's not even it, it, so it's, I'm I'm certainly not saying that Tottenham fans booed Sanchez because he's black. I'm not saying that Tottenham fans booed Royale because he's black. But I do think that fans, when it comes to this level of personal abuse, it does generally tend to go in the direction of black players. And that's I think that is something that I think we all need to to have a very serious think about. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I mean, it's something we've spoken about. Uh, we were speaking about this before. And, you know, like in the piece, I referenced another instance with Emmanuel Abue. And I think actually we now, you look back on how he was treated, it's actually just pretty horrific. 
and you know he's another player who was subbed off as a sub and was booed uh, and he talked about how he you know he didn't want to come into training and he cried about it when he got home he was distraught but I, I I just think you know it's such a, it's a difficult topic because no one likes to think they have unconscious biases. We all do. It's just a reality, you know. No, no. And as Jack says, it's not singling out a fan base. This happens up and down the country. I think for a lot of people, they have consciously or otherwise a view of what, say, a centre back looks like. And I think for a lot of people, brought up in a certain era, uh, or even you know, for people of like my Jack and James's age, we imagine it to be a white Anglo-Saxon sort of, you know, tub thumping type. And so I do think often, you know, look at someone like Titus Bramble, the way he was made out to be this sort of gag character. I, I'm just not sure that happens in the same way with a with a white centre back. Or, or look at look 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 at um someone like Rob Holding at Arsenal, who is I'm sorry to say he's just out of his depth. He's really he's really not at the level required to win a league. Now, I think he gets such an easier ride because he looks like what we think and you know a Premier League centre back should look like. He's kind of white, he's strapping, heads things away, but he's not very good. And you know, he's always described as a really good lad, and I'm sure he is, but I also think it it helps to be a good lad when, you know, you're English and you know look, look looks the way he does. And I'm sure if he was, if he looked a different way, he would get a lot more critic. He would be called a kind of gaff man and whatever. Um, and it is something to think about, you know, and we were talking about other Spurs players who've been booed and Dombele got booed, different circumstances and, you know, objectively probably a lot more justifiable. He got booed when he slow walked off the pitch when Spurs were losing uh, at home to Morecambe in an FA Cup tie. It was the last time he ever played for the club. But we, but you know, we need to think about that and and reflect on, on what why some players are booed. Think about uh, like the white players at Spurs who have underperformed or or come under criticism, say on social media. Just using that as a kind of barometer, not of emotion, but of the players who are getting criticism. I don't think Hugo Lloris, to to my memory, has ever been booed. Maybe that's more difficult to boo a goalkeeper, but I don't think it's happened. Dyer obviously centre half. I don't think he's ever been booed. Harry Winks just seems to get an insane amount of criticism on social media. So using that as a kind of measure of who might be booed hasn't been booed, I don't think, from memory. And I mean, I'm sure you can say certainly with the first two, they kind of got a lot of credit in the bank in terms of what they've done. But, you know, Davinson Sanchez has played for Tottenham for seven years. And despite what people, six, right, despite what people have been saying on social media in the last 48 hours, he hasn't actually been completely useless the entire time. Even the back end of last season, he was very good at like in that run. At yeah, the end he came, yeah, he came season. in and did really, really well, good. yeah. Like, including in the North London derby right at the end of the season. And no one was complaining then. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think we're saying, you know, look, firstly, despite saying it's a relatively small number of people in the ground that have booed, even if it's between five and 10,000, that's have a lot of people to actually be doing that. Uh, I, I don't think we're saying this is what's happened, but I think it's, I think it's something to consider. And we should acknowledge the fact that us as four white men, we are not the best people to be discussing these issues. All we and all we can do is raise issues as we see them and acknowledge, of course, we all we all have these unconscious biases. That that's the thing that I think people hate being told it and acknowledging it because it's uncomfortable and the the racist word is so loaded. But they exist for all of us. How can you not be be influenced by your surroundings and your upbringings? That's that's just how we think. I felt conscious of this on Saturday night when I'd heard about it. And I think I would have felt incredibly uncomfortable 
being in that stadium, predominantly white men or white male crowd booing a black guy because he had a bad game. I would feel very uncomfortable with that. And I would be conscious of it. Okay. So you need to think just carefully about what the, the lads have said there. Um, because we can't get us into a situation where one group of people are getting treatment um, different from another because of the colour of their skin, because surely some of us have spent our whole lives trying to push back against that. So if we admit that, um, that Davison Sanchez is not perpetually useless, that takes me on to Christian Stellini, and I'm, I'm, I'm aware that we, we're now talking about criticising people and how it is personally very difficult for them, but I have to say, sod that, um, in this case, I knew this was going to be a disaster when they didn't separate themselves from Conte's gang. And after the game as well, he did the usual thing, said, I thought we did all right there. Uh, let's cut straight to the chase. It's clearly not going to work. It's clearly a disaster for the club. Should they Should they deal with it now and put somebody else in charge for the last few games? The games are meaningless now because they're not going to get enough points to qualify for the Champions League. Um, and I, you know, people will tell me they should try and finish ninth now to to get away from the from the Conference League. But what is the point of Christian Stellini spending the next two months at Tottenham replicating the nonsense we've seen for the last three years? Anyone want to? Anyone make a case for it? Excellent. I mean, I would no. say their I would say their best <laughs> chance of getting into the Champions League is to get some kind of mad new manager bounce in these next two games or three games, really. Uh, because if they beat Newcastle and Manchester United, that, that's the only way they're going to have any, any chance to get to the Champions League. If they lose those two games, or even if they get one point from the two games, given they've both got games in hand as well, a game each in hand, I, I think that'd be more or less it gone. You know, and we're looking behind us now. At, you know, they've got a game at Aston Villa who looked incredible on, on Saturday. You know, uh, I think the form team in the league. I can't, I can't believe you're still talking about the Champions League this season. That's not going to well, happen. I'm, not, I'm, tell, I'm, telling, I'm telling you the only way they can do it is to win these two incredibly difficult games. So if you work on that basis, and the be- and you think the best way of of eking out some miraculous results in those two games is to get rid of Stellini and put literally anyone else in charge, then you should do that. I- I- I'm not convinced that is the decision that's going to be taken, but that is that is the way I see it. I think the managerial, cha- I think another managerial change will come um, after Liverpool. I think Stellini will be gone then, whether it's Mason or someone else. But I, I, my prediction now is that mm, pro, let, let's say Mason, Ryan Mason will be in charge for those last four games. Because you know we've, we've seen we've seen interim appointments. There's a, several of them sprinkled around the Premier <laughs> the League. The interim to the interim. Yeah, uh, yeah. There, there are the the only one that's worked. <laughs> and you know, of course, I'm going to pick on this example. Is somebody who knows the league inside out, who knows the club inside out, and cares about, it, and that's Roy Hodgson. Now, of course, you can point to Frank Lampard. And say it's absolutely failing, failing there. Roy Hodgson made perfect sense um, because you, you know he doesn't want the job, I suspect, full time. But he knows how to organise a football team. Jack, you're waving at me furiously like you're in the classroom. I was going to say uh, Gus Hiddink's first interim stint at Chelsea was quite good. I'm, 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 I'm just was, talking that was about brilliant. Yeah, I'm just talking about the current uh, the current mob that we're seeing. You know. Um, Dean Smith, I mean, Di Matteo won the Champions League. Yeah, he did. Very good. We we all said like when Stellini got the job that it was really really weird to try and get to try and generate new but new manager bounce out of the loyal lieutenant to the bloke you just had to get rid of, and that has clearly been the case. You know, he has they have generated no new manager bounce. They are playing at least as badly as they were when Conte was there. I mean, the Newcastle. I mean, Brighton was obviously weird because of the decisions, but the Everton. And Bournemouth games were, I think, probably two. I think Everton was probably the worst performance of the season, and 
quite a lot of this Bournemouth game was not that far behind. So in a, it, no, nobody should be surprised that this has gone so badly, I think. I mean, the, appointing the, sacking a manager and appointing his number two as interim at the end of the season is such a bad idea that A, Todd Bowley did it, and B, Todd Bowley then appointed Frank Lampard as his way out of it, yeah. as his solution to this mess he got himself into. That's how bad an idea this is. Here's the thing. If Levy had replaced Conte with, you know, like any manager who was going to lift the gloom around the club immediately after that Milan game, and that was the point that we all thought Conte was definitely going to go, don't forget. He got one more game after that inexplicably, and he basically had to force his way out afterwards. Two more games. Uh, no, you're right, Forest, sorry, two more yeah. games. Sorry, In the end, right. he was forced to punch his way out of the bag, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. If, if, uh, if Levy had got in a manager, I mean, someone available, who was that guy who was at PSG? Who was the guy who was at PSG? What's his name? Gautier. No, 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 no. The guy who was Pochettino, at... he's, trying, he's trying to make a joke oh, about Pochettino. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. No, sorry, We're so that. concentrated on this, we were being serious there, Literally, man. Bloody anyone. But fine, if you got him in, if, if Pochettino had come in and taken over after that Milan game, I guarantee now Spurs would be third in the Premier League. And the vibes would be so good. No one's getting booed. Everyone's having a good time. You're going to the games. I'm going to the games. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great. And I, I, that's just so, I, I, I think that's just so obvious. I don't think that's an insane thing to say. I mean, it's only what, like kind of four points difference. I, I mean, look, Daniel Levy's very public avoidance of anything. We'll come on to that in the second half of the show. But his non-courting of Maurizio Pochettino shows, you know, it's a gift horse that he's looking in the mouth, I suspect. I mean, I don't know whether it'd work out or not, but it can't be any worse than it is now, can it? Let's be truthful. And there are several senior players at the club who would have welcomed it. And maybe, to repeat the horse thing, maybe the horse has bolted there. I don't know. Um, and, and if you were Pochettino, Anyway, let's, sorry, I'll come on to that in the second half of the show. Let's finish with, with Stellini here and then we'll have a break to hose ourselves down. The, the last 20 minutes, um, a, madder, a madder Spurs team ever been on the pitch? What was he trying to do? And I'll, I'll open the bidding with Harry Kane is one of the best two or three centre forwards in the world. Any system that requires him to play in midfield and you have failed. It's an admission of failure. It's a dereliction of duty. Ridiculous. I know we all say, oh, he could play a great... I mean, of course he could, but he's a centre-forward. Can I just say, Dan Juma, when he came on, was really good, even before the goal. No way. And the fact that Conte played, started Lucas Moura had a Dan Juma at Sheffield United, which really was the game that kind of, I think, killed Conte with the fans, blows my mind. It well, absolutely Stellini, blows my well, mind. It was Stellini that game. But the, the principle yeah, no, yeah, the same. Conte, would, Conte was still like nominally in... Would, would we're we're, we're still in Conte. This is an extension of Conte. Yeah. Even, yeah, if it's just, right. even if it's just because of a social... Even if it's just because of a social awkwardness for Stellini of knowing he's going to want to work with Conte again possibly in four months' time, three months' time. The idea a week's time, I hope. Dan Juma in a team. Well, maybe. Uh, the idea that he would be able to just chuck Dan Juma in a team. Like, like he doesn't... I, I'm, I'm certain he won't want to make big changes to create this slightly awkward tension with, with Conte. Remember as well, it was Mora who Stellini brought on in that Everton game. Yeah, and no, it's, only, it's only the fact that Mora's su- suspended. <laughs> Otherwise, oh he might God, have been yeah. coming on Honestly, instead of Zanjuma as well. What a shit club. A shit club. <laughs> when, is the, when is the fans player of the year thing open? Is, I'm not, I don't know if I've had the email. People should vote for Danjuma as player of the year. <laughs> Danjuma or Spence, as a pro, the two club signings. Yeah, Spence, yeah. Spence or Danjuma. Uh, the club signings were good. Club signing now because, you know, then it's like backing the club, you know. Dan Juma should be player of the season. Vote, vote for Dan Juma. Start the campaign now.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, welcome back to this edition of the award-winning Hooray! View from the Lane with me, Danny Kelly, Charlie Eccleshare, James Moore, Jack Pitt, Brooke, the full team are out for this one. Look, the first half, we were trying to blow some air into, uh, you know, uh, the ever-deflating tyre of Tottenham's season. Um, but truthfully, and I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want us to be standing personally uh, outside the club shop uh, with my banner, but that's entirely up to everyone how they support the club. But, you know, we talked about Stellini, we talked about the booing, we talked about the chaos of the last 20 minutes, we talked about the huge improbability of qualifying for a Champions League door that keeps getting thrown open uh, for the team. And so many of the roads inevitably lead back to Daniel Levy. Now, look, you, you, you've heard my speech before about what he's done for the club, but of course, some of that is what you've done for me lately because life moves forward. It can't move back. The past is a foreign country. What I don't understand at the moment, and you know, it's a private business, but of course it has a very public face, is that at a time of this kind of turmoil where players are having to switch off their social media, where players and employees are being booed off and on, and I'll take my own lumps here, where people like me are calling the manager an idiot to his face, and if he was in the room, actually looks a bit tough. No, if he was next door, I'd call him an idiot to his face, and yet one man sits above all of this chaos and not a peep. I can't help feeling that every other industry I've worked in, whenever you get turmoil, the person in charge stands up on a, on a, on a, on a chair, calms the room, and tells them something that might give people at least a vision of what tomorrow or the day after tomorrow might look like. Nothing. The Spurs board, the Spurs owners, they're just sitting there. What, what, why are we not hearing from somebody just to calm down? Like, I mean, I know, I know social media is not real life. The stadium is not on fire. I get it. But this is, this is you know, where's the leadership here? Anybody want to help me with this? I mean, I, I take your point and I think you're entirely right. But what do you think Daniel Levy could say at the moment that would placate people? If he, if he was just to say, we are out there looking for a manager who will help us to fulfil the DNA that I described two years ago. I'm sorry, the last couple of appointments have not done that. And, and I'm going to make this appointment as soon as humanly possible. What if that's not true? What if that's not well, true? But that's, my, that's my fear. That he can't say that because he'll get he'll get he'll get sued by the truth police. Sorry, I'm now getting so excited. My voice got two octaves. This is a football idea. We talked about this, didn't we, in the context of the Paratici ban? That it was you know it, it wasn't anyone senior at the club really talking about it. It was Stellini who had to address questions about it at a press conference. In the same way, it was Ryan Mason who had to answer questions about the European Super League. A 29 year old Ryan Mason who'd never managed a game of football in his life had to explain the club's decisions during the European Super League, which obviously he couldn't and didn't. Ollie Kay's written a good piece about this, how, um, yeah, across football. You know, and we talked about Thomas Tuchel was asked about Russian foreign policy. It's, it's, it's completely mad, but that is the football industry. But do you think James raises a good point, though, as to what 
I mean, we've seen this before when Levy has spoken and it's kind of inflamed things more. You know, I mean, think about Spurs DNA. That's just gone down as a kind of legendary misstep. So they'd have to be pretty confident. But only because his actions didn't match his words, Charlie. Sure. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's why he'll only ever talk about he'll only ever talk about things that have happened. He won't. He won't. From from now on, he won't throw forward. Oh, I think you talk about the go karting. If you asked him about the go karting, that's in the future. You talk about that. But guys, there won't be. If I correct me if I'm wrong, but the last well, is it like a routine? So the famous Spurs DNA that was program notes for because it was the Tottenham's last home, last home game. game of the season yeah. against Aston Villa. Obviously, their last home game of the season this year is coming up against Brentford on the twentieth, twenty first of May. I wonder whether Daniel Levy will have to will will issue sort of program notes, chairman's message going into that game if we will finally hear something from him then. But I, I do agree with James, there's not really... The only thing he can do to fix this is make a managerial appointment. And He actually needs the, to fix it. There's no point saying mm-hmm. I'm going to fix it. He actually needs yeah, to do it. There, is no, there, there will be no value in him coming out and saying, look guys, I, you know, I, know how bad, I know how awful this has been this season and the last few seasons. And um, the, only solution that he, the only solution that he has is actions, I think, not words. But I do think in principle he should talk. Just as well, just to throw another thing in the mix, Spurs have just tweeted that four years ago today was that Etihad epic where they went through to the Champions League semi-final. I mean, in a way... Should we, should, fair... should we look at the replies to that tweet? But yeah, I was going to say fair play to them for tweeting. Because... Announce Kelly, yeah. <laughs> it, it really is amazing how... Four... So it's... if you look back to that period in kind of Don't April, do it. May, Turn June, back, June 2019... Back. Where they reached, where they opened the stadium, knocked out Borussia Dortmund, Ma- Manchester City, and Ajax, reached the Champions League final. That was the the most exciting period I've ever had. I've had in my in my time covering Tottenham Hotspur, even though they were better. I think two or three years b- before that as a team. What what four years on? What have they got to show for it? They've had a series of bad appointments. They've wasted a huge amount of money on players and managers. All they've got to show for it is that one League Cup final under Jose, coming fourth last year, which admittedly was good at the time. This year they'll probably wind up coming sixth, I think. Um, and that's it. They've got nothing to. They've got nothing to show for that amazing moment of promise. That's the reason why there are people on the high road protesting with banners. The booing is increasing up to both the team and individuals because we were told that the building of the new stadium, which, which allowed, you know, which had to, there was financial issues, the season tickets were expensive, and we had to spend a season and a half at Wembley, which nobody enjoyed at all that I've ever spoken to has enjoyed it. The deal was that the stadium while not instantly transformative, would be a part of a process that would see the club go to another level, whatever that means. And all we've seen since the, since, since the ball hit Moose's, well, collarbone, let's be honest, um, is, is, is decline. Um, so the bargain is broken. And just as we're seeing in society, if you break bargains, even if they're unspoken bargains, you're going to get, you're going to get chaos. I think about something a lot that someone said to me once. Can you have envisaged things going worse for Spurs since that Champions League final in 2019? Like, if you'd been told then, but re- I mean, realistically... It's probably gone roughly how I would have predicted. From where they were at that point to how the subsequent four years have been, it's, it's kind of incredible. Like, it really is. From where they were at that point, they were the Champions League finalists. You have to make one mistake after another with almost... 
no good decisions being made in between. Now, look, Spurs, you know, they, they signed players, expensive players, um, La Celso and Domble, etc. They might have done better in another system or in a club that wasn't going through the kind of schism that we seem to be going through at the moment. But truthfully, look, the day they replaced Pochettino, no problem with Pochettino going. Sometimes you have to re- re- recycle things. With Jose Mourinho, I personally have been fearful of what was coming next. Because if you can make a decision as poxy as that, and it was a poxy decision, um, you are capable of making any decision and going wrong in any possible way. The, the, the three months, two months, certain, two and a half months search for another manager, all that, it, it all springs from a kind of hopelessness. Wow, wow this is a, a doomy podcast, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, just we. I mean, obviously, you know, we've spoken about these issues so many times, but just on that, the game. Well, I think, the, and this, I had a few messages from fans saying they'd never seen the atmosphere so flat and just the whole thing such a joyless experience. And I got this message. Apologies for bad pronunciation, Rahul Gokale, and he said it was the atmosphere that struck me. Though pre-game, we were a little early. There wasn't much traffic. Coupled with the delay kickoff, we had a good hour in the side of the stadium pre-kickoff, and it was surreal. No queues at the concession stands, no singing, no noise, no excitement. Felt more like the early hours of a corporate trade show. And it did feel like, I don't know, Jack, you felt it, but like it did feel strange, that Bournemouth. Like there, wa- there just wasn't that kind of buzz beforehand. Like it, it just felt so flat and going through the motions. I think it's because at this particular moment, it just feels like kind of dead time. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's felt, it's felt like dead time all season, really, but particularly now, this weird interim. And again, this links back to what James was saying earlier about if they'd brought in Pochettino or even like another good manager. Even, if even in another Ryan good Mason. Manager. Ryan Mason, would, it would have been different with Ryan Mason. And, and I'm not suggesting Mason is a better coach or knows more tactically than Stellini. I have no idea. But I absolutely guarantee... But the whole vibe, like vibes are actually important, despite people being kind of flippant about that. The vibes are absolutely crucial. And I absolutely guarantee that if Mason had taken over, either then after that Milan game or between Southampton and Everton when, when Conte went, I absolutely guarantee that Spurs would be better off in terms of points and we would all be feeling much better about the way things were going. Because they're still asking people to show up and you know, by, I don't know, I actually don't know how much an individual seat for the Bournemouth game would have been, but it's obviously would have been quite a lot as it's a big Premier League game and buy their expensive pints and expensive food and everything and shell out on merchandise and all the rest. Well, they don't have, you know, they, they clearly don't have a proper manager in place. Well, which takes us, takes us, Jack, to your piece that you've written. I mean, I, I say I have my own doubts that are, are based on experience, I guess, about people going back to jobs, although it happens perfectly well at clubs like Real Madrid. Jack, you, you, you've, you've asked the question in your piece, why has he and how long can he resist the, the Pochettino wave? The worse it gets, the more the pressure will increase to go back to Pochettino. I don't know whether Daniel Levy will be able to resist that pressure or whether he will eventually give in to it. But equally, I don't know whether Pochettino will still be on the market or be quite as open to it down the line um i just think there's this kind of you know ever increasing drumbeat of popular clamor for pochettino to return and that you know it's been what i don't know off the top of my head like what 26 days since since conte We're left halfway now. to um, the famous 72 days yeah it's been what well, it's been four months since they knew that conte was probably going to go and the and the longer that Actually, there is 20, no plan 26 in place, and a half or 72, is it? the louder that the calls will be for Pochettino and the worse it looks for the club not to have any a, any kind of position or response on this. 
I would I would worry now if they appoint any manager other than Pochettino, that th- that guy is going to get no time. That's get, that that's just going to be a completely thankless task. I think you're going to have to really hit the ground running if you're ta- if you take that job and things don't improve incredibly quickly. Particularly if Pochettino doesn't end up at another <laughs> another club. If Pochettino still sat around in his garden, quote unquote, just chilling in September October, and you know Steve Cooper or whoever the bloody hell it is they end up with doesn't win. Four of the last five games, four of the first five games, or whatever, people are going to be singing Pochettino's name again. Like it's not, it's not going to end. But that, that's <laughs> not enough. For, that's not enough for a reason or, to appoint him, though, is it? You have to. No, believe I'm not it saying him. it is, but that will that will definitely happen. It's, he's, it, it's gonna, it's kind of almost a curse now. It is, I and mean, it's kind, it's, it's not an entirely good thing. And as much as I probably would want it to happen, I think if it doesn't, there could be big problems. I was thinking about over. Daniel Levy's program notes for the game against Brentford, where he might have something to say to us, placate people like me. And I was thinking, well, but there'll be nobody there. There'll be sixty-one thousand people at, at Kingstonian, um, even though there's no game, um, because you know people are, people are going to vote with their feet sooner or later. I know, I know, it's very hard. You pay for the season tickets, um, you can't do it. Which takes us, I guess, uh, to to the end. And I, I feel like uh, it's a kind of cul-de-sac. Because we go into three big games now with a manager who's the treatment of the putting on and bringing off of Davidson Sanchez, I think will have further loosened any ties between the players um, and and the manager. Yet there he is staring um, doe-eyedly at us at the press conferences, telling us he thought they played all right and all the rest of it. How, what, what, uh, help me here. You're all experienced uh, journalists and broadcasters. What's a good way to end this podcast? <laughs> What's a good way to end the 2022-23 season for Tottenham Hotspur? I've got no idea. There is no, sometimes, Danny, there is no good ending. But uh, Sorry. I, uh, yeah, look at the Sopranos. Well, yeah, but think about me. I, 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 like, I like some optimism. I need, to, I need something to be injected into my eyeball directly just now to try and get out of, the, out of this spiral because this is where we're hostages. This is a spiral over which we have no control. It's a hateful feeling. I told you, it's all about the vibes. Just, just, just do what it takes to bring back the vibes, even if it's in the short term. All That's right, what it's Harry Redknapp, Glenn Hoddle, literally, who? Yep, yep, yep. Spurs, Spurs are at a point where it is like the next three games. It's such a long shot them doing anything, and actually, they're better off almost bombing out of the top seven than finishing seventh again and having the Conference League. You don't like the sound of the um, so the Europa League final next year is in Dublin, so which would be great. That, that's lovely. Danny's. That'd be great. Europa, yeah, yeah all the for the Europa. The conference, the conference league final next year is in Athens, which Ooh, would be great be fun good. at the end of next season, and would be very hot. And the podcast has several people who work on it. You speak fluent Greek, so that would really help as well when we go out there. That'd be lovely. I mean, let's not be too entitled as well. Spurs went out of the group stage of the Conference League last time. Hang on. I know, that was Poxy Ren, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, hopefully there won't be another pandemic. A club, of course, since since, since they did that to us, Spurs have done nothing but business with them, giving them players and stuff. And another example of of the lunacy of the manager, Ren... Gave Spurs the most tremendous kick in the in, in the repro- in the, repro- in the reproductive organs. Oh, of course, don't worry, you can have our players. Unbelievable. Well, but Ren did basically help Spurs qualify for the Champions League by doing that. So maybe that was Spurs' show of thanks. Listen. 
I think we should stop there. We'll no doubt have much time on Thursday to revisit some of these issues. Maybe something will change by then. I, I very much doubt it. In fact, I know it won't. And if I'm wrong about that, um, I have a hat here. I literally have a hat and I will eat a portion of that before then. Listen, thanks to James and Charlie and Jack. Thank you. Thanks again to everyone who voted for us to w- win the award. We're great. You're great. The football club can be great. It's going to take a little bit more than programme notes against Brentford to achieve that. That's my message to Daniel. And of course, if he wants to come on here and discuss it in a calm and sensible way, he's absolutely welcome. Um, we would have to stand down one of Charlie or Jack or someone, but I'm prepared to do that. Listen, thanks everybody for listening. And remember that uh, Jack's piece about the relationship with Pochettino um, is among many, many brilliant pieces you can read in The Athletic. And if you're not already a subscriber, sign up now to read all of that. Loads of Spurs coverage as well as everything else on a massive, almost infinite um, site. Uh, just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Sign up right now for $1.99 a month for the first 12 months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. The Athletic.